Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. And if I've not met you before, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor of the congregation here. We really hope that after our service today, you can stick around and enjoy some lunch. It's free if you're here as a guest. So um, yeah, please stay and join us and, and come up and meet me. I want to just do a very quick sort of two-minute review um, to remind us where we've come from and to put what we're doing in context. But as Dawson has pointed out, we're in the middle of a series looking at our church's vision and mission statement. And so uh, if we go to our next slide. This is it. You've seen it a little bit earlier. Uh, we want to be a people of God growing in Christ and reaching out with the gospel until Christ returns. And in the first week, we looked at the final phrase, until Christ's return, because we talked about how that's the vision element of this statement. It's, it's a future statement. We're waiting for Christ to return and to complete his act of salvation with his people and to make us new and to make all of creation brand new. Uh, that's something that we hope for and we wait for. It is a vision that's there to encourage and inspire us. But in the meantime, we have a mission uh, to carry out. And so last week, we looked at the first statement of that mission, that we want to be a people of God. And if we just go to our next slide, um, to kind of give us the idea of what this means, I ask us to imagine what it would be like if we had this posted on the front of our building. You know, our sign said we were a people of God, and what it would mean if we came in here and we were all wearing t-shirts that all said, child of God. And basically the point was to say that if we're the people of God, that this needs to impact our identity, the way that we see ourselves. Obviously, if people are walking past this building and they're seeing the sign that says the people of God, the question is, well, who are these people? You know, they say they're God's people. That's a pretty big deal. What do the people of God do? What are they on about? And therefore, it, it influences not only our relationships inside, how we treat one another, but also our activities outside. Which leads us then to the next step. Um, we're going to be looking at the phrase growing in Christ. That is what we're talking about today. And Dawson has helpfully pointed out that really what we're talking about here is what we call discipleship. Now, if you've been around this church for a while, I hope that that's not a new word. Um, a few years back, we made this the theme of one of our weekends away together. When we did the 40 Days of Purpose, we said that that was a, a discipleship series where we spent time looking at what it, what it is that we do uh, to grow in Christ, and we have done other things that really talk about what a disciple is all about. But if this is somewhat of a new phrase, let me just help explain to you what we mean. If we just go to our next slide, this is a, a saying of Jesus um, when he was teaching his disciples. He says, a pupil or a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. In some ways, the student-teacher analogy is not terribly helpful to us in a, a 21st century context. I don't know about you. Um, I had teachers back in my school days that I really admired. Some of them were just so-so. I don't remember them one way or another. And there are others I looked at and thought, I have to be in your class, but I do not want to be like you. But basically, wh whoever the teacher was, I would, my, my job was to go in the classroom, learn what I had to learn, you know, put it back on a piece of paper, pass the test, and move on. But in Jesus' day, you know, 
this is prior to public school systems and even private school systems, people were disciples. The goal was not just to learn from the teacher. The goal was to become like the teacher. And so you felt very blessed if you found this person and you thought, that person knows where they're going. That person knows what life is about. I want to follow them. Then literally that is what you did. And that's why Jesus, he wasn't the only one with disciples. This was something that existed in the Greek culture and in the Jewish culture. But when Jesus said to his students, you know, to John or to Matthew or to Peter, come and follow me, that's actually what they did. They would travel around with him. They would wake up in the morning and have breakfast and go out and do some work with him, whatever that was that he was doing. They would sit down maybe at some stage and have a time of some teaching and learning. But you saw the way that they related to their family and friends. You were trying to become like your teacher. And after, you know, if you ever hit a stage where you had gone beyond your teacher, some of you who had primary school music lessons or, you know, primary school maths and sciences, you may have actually gone beyond, you know, your first teacher, and then you find another teacher. But Jesus was saying this in relation to himself. We're never going to pass up Jesus, and we're also never going to be God's one and only son. We're never going to be the Messiah sent into the world to save the world. Um, we're never going to be a sinless person who can give up our lives for the good of others. But to use our salt analogy, uh, Jesus was saying in the way that you speak and in the way you act, in the way that you live, in the way that you think, I want you to be like me. I want you to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's what a disciple is, someone who is trying to become like Jesus. Which then leads us to our next slide, I'm going to give us four action items because we've been talking about our strategic plan. And a lot of you said, you know, it's all good to hear. We want to be disciples and we want to save the world and all of these sort of things. But what are we actually going to do? So I've lifted these things right from the strategic plan that we have written up. And if you want to look at that in more detail, come and see me and I can send it off to you. But this is the first of those strategic actions. We said that we want to develop within CB10, a disciple-making culture for every age and stage of life. In other words, we don't just want people to say, I'm a churchgoer, so I turn up to church on Sunday, or I'm a Christian, so I tick that box on the census. We want to be known as Christ's disciples, as Christ followers. And School may not be um, the sexiest analogy in the world, but it's a good one because we understand when you go to school, uh, when you head off into primary school, on the early stages, we know that a student is going to learn to read and write and do some basic maths, right? By the time they get to high school, you're going to be doing some more complex things and in some cases maybe preparing you for the next stage of your work life or for university. If you want to go on and you actually want to teach and to do this professionally, then you might go on to university and there's another stage of development. But school is a good analogy because you're always thinking, I'm supposed to be growing. I know what I have to achieve this year in order to get into the next year and the next year. And you understand that the whole school system from K to 12 and then on to university, it's all about growth and development. And there are landmarks that you need to hit. Sometimes discipleship for us can be a little bit nebulous and a little bit vague. Yeah, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but 
Are you growing in Christ? Where are you right now in your relationship with Christ? How much do you know? How much do you understand? How much is your life like his? Where are you falling short? Where do you need to grow and develop? So within this church, we understand that this is kind of a a two-way street. We need to think as a church, do we have a good disciple-making program? And again, that may may not be the the most spiritual-sounding thing, but we've got Georgie, who's downstairs with the kids, and we've hired her on because she's got actually teacher training, she's got a theological background, and she has put together a curriculum. So from the early stages, our kids should be moving through different stages of understanding and development in their relationship with Christ. And you've heard Tim come up and talk a little bit about our youth program. And when we go off to, they go off to things like kick or they go along to youth group, it's not just they go and hang out and eat dumplings. I mean, that's something that they do, but it's not the whole thing but they're there to to grow and to take on another point of development. When we come here on a Sunday morning, when we go off to home groups, when you have your personal Bible study, all of these things should be moving us along in our growth and development. So to me, a disciple-making culture is one where we ask ourselves, where am I at, where do I need to go, and what do I need to do? And that's something that you need to ask yourself, and as leaders, we need to take that on because if you come to me and say, I need to grow more, then I need to know, well, here's, here's the next step, and here is what we have set out for you to do that. So we want to develop a disciple-making culture. What we're going to do now is move through this passage that you have just heard read for you, Ephesians um, chapter 4. It, it's fantastic because it was like it was tailor-made for this topic. That's why I chose it. It just literally moves us through this disciple-making process and the things that we want to pick up. So if we can just go on to our next slide. The very first step says that we want to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. This should remind us a little bit of um, the analogy of being the people of God. If you are called to be Christ's disciples, if you say, I'm a disciple, I'm not, I'm not just a Christian that I tick the box on the census. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Christ. Then isn't it important that your life in some way reflects who Jesus is? I mean, we could say on the negative side, it would be really bad if you said, I'm one of Jesus' followers, and there are these people around you who have no idea who Jesus is or what he taught or what he did, but they look at your life and they go, wow, well, I don't think I want to follow Jesus, or there doesn't seem to be anything really exciting or enticing there. It just seems pretty mundane, and it looks just like every other life that I know. But if we're truly followers of Jesus, and I, there's a great passage in the Bible where we're told that even the religious leaders who disliked Jesus and they listened to the disciples and their teaching and they watched them and they said they took note that they had been with Jesus. Ah, you're, you're some of those Jesus followers. I can tell by the way you talk, by the way you act, by the way you speak, act, live, and think. And so we need to live lives worthy of the calling. If we're saying I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christ person, then ask yourself, does my life reflect that? Am I living a life that reflects who Jesus is? And am I 
growing in that relationship? Am I trying to do that more and more? We can go on then to the next slide, which brings us to our next strategic action. If we go from the personal, I now want to talk about our corporate development. We want to prioritize and invest in our Sunday worship services. And this next part of our passage explains why. There's one body that's talking about us. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us and unites us. You were called um, to one hope in your calling, and there's one Lord, there's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This passage describes to me perfectly why we come together on a Sunday morning. When someone says to you, I notice that you always say you go to church on Sunday, why do you go there? You could say, well, I'm a Christian and Christians go to church. But there's actually a better answer than that, and, it, and it's here. Because God, who is overall, sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. He died for my sins, and he saved me, and he poured out his spirit in me, and he called me into his family. And so when I gather with other believers who have the same spirit and we come into the same building and we share our fellowship and we worship together and we learn from his word and we pray and we do all of these things, we are reflecting what it means to be, to be God's, to be Christ's body and the fact that he is our living head and that we are there to support one another just like ligaments and bones tie a a body together and how it all is operated by the head. That's who we are called to be. So I just want to say something a little bit about what this means to prioritize and invest in our worship culture. And I thought about this during the week, and so I'm going to tell you what I don't want to say right here, because I thought this could really easily turn into a kind of thing, so could we all just turn up a little bit earlier and make more of an effort to be here on time? But I thought that would cheapen what I'm trying to say here. It's not just about your presence, and it's not about your punctuality. (laughs) It's about our priority. It's about why we are here in the first place. And I've shared with some of you that my very first year at college, strangely enough, for reasons I don't need to explain right now, I found myself in a state in the United States called Iowa in a Dutch community. Almost everyone in the community had a van something name. They were a Dutch community. There's lots of bumper stickers that said, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. And (laughs) there's uh, the Dutch Reformed Church. Um, They were the ones that ran the college in the town. It was a Dutch Reformed college. And all of the churches in town, and there were about five of them, and they were Dutch Reformed churches. And you needed all of them because if you looked at the population of the town and then you went and counted on the attendance board of all those churches, everyone was there every Sunday. Now, I could tell you a lot of things that the church did poorly, but I've always tried to say whenever I've gone for a while, I'd attended a Pentecostal church and an Anglican church and a Dutch Reformed church and a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church. There are things that we can learn from all these denominations. Here's what I loved about the Dutch Reformed church. My very first Sunday, I said, I'm going to go to this church. I was a student back at the time. I kind of rushed in probably just you know a minute or so before the service was to start, and I went, oh my goodness, I, I think I'm late. 
because everyone was there in their seat, and they all had their heads bowed, and I went to go sit next to someone and said, oh, hi, is this okay? And I said, shh. And their heads were bowed. They were preparing themselves for worship. And then right on 10 o'clock, let's say, when the service actually began, the person would stand up the front, and they would say, let's lift our voices to the Lord, and they had, every one of these churches had these massive pipe organs. This was like Phantom of the Opera stuff. And everyone would stand, and this thing would hit, and you couldn't hear yourself, and these people would burst out in song. And I would think, I actually can't hear my voice. I can't hear my own voice. And I could tell you all that was wrong with the Dutch Reformed Church, but from day one to the last day that I was there, I said, these people care about worship. There was no doubt in your mind that they said, we're going to be together for an hour on Sunday. We're there to worship God. And from the first minute of that service, you knew why everyone was there. We are in the presence of God. We are his body. We are here to lift up his name and to honor him. And so my concern sometimes when, you know, it's, through the first bracket of songs, and a third of us are here, and then slowly but surely we all trickle in until, you know, halfway through the service and time to get the kids downstairs and everything. That's not great. It doesn't show a great deal of respect for the people who have been here and practicing and all of that. But that's actually not my biggest concern, because for different reasons we're all late and have different problems. My concern is what does it say about why we are here? Slowly but surely... It's just this thing that we do, and we trickle in, and then we check our phones for a little bit, and slowly but surely we can lose the fact that we are here for this one hour, and what is so significant, we are here as Croydon Park at 10, as his church, and we are here to worship God, to pray to him, to hear from his word, and to make this one of the most important hours of our week. And that's just really up to us and what we decide to do. And so I want to just begin by asking you and asking us that question, why are we here? And it really needs to be because God is our priority and we've come here to, to meet with him. So let's move on to the next slide because then it leads us to our third priority, which is to develop a biblical leaders and to develop biblical students. So, we're told that in order that this body would be built up, he gave us, Christ himself gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up, so that the disciples will be discipled. And we're going to go on to see in our next one that this is not all just about the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists. But it mentions these in the first place. And as a leadership group, we have said that we need to be developing a biblical leadership because this is important. We could do a whole series on all of these different roles, but I'm just going to go through it in a minute. Who are the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Well, the most generic thing I could say is that apostles and prophets, um, the best way to think about who they were is to just open your Bible in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it wasn't like if you lived in Israel and everyone said, oh, 
you know, Moses got to write a little bit of the Bible. How come I can't, you know, write a little bit? Oh, well, you, you can have a proverb and we'll throw it in. No, the people who wrote down the scriptures were people who were chosen by God and they were given authority. So someone like Moses, you know, he goes on the scene and he says, God has told me to come here and to deliver my people. But by the time he, you know, sends the plagues on Egypt and parts the Red Sea and then, you know, leads them through to Mount Sinai and they're on fire and there's rumbling and you can tell God's presence is there and no one can go up but Moses is going up there and then he comes down and his face is glowing and he's holding these tablets you're going what did God say right so Moses is a prophet and and that's who the prophets were people that God spoke to directly and then he went and handed on the words of God and now we have the ten commandments and other things printed you know in in ink on our the pages of our bible and or in our phones so we can think of the, the prophets primarily as those Old Testament people who, who gave us the, the first part of our Bible. And the, the apostles, we more think about them as the New Testament, the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, the apostle John, those chosen people who knew Jesus face to face and they met with him and they, got, they were given a special commission Again, they wrote down the things that Jesus said and did so that we have a New Testament and we can have firsthand information written by people like Matthew or John or Peter, and they were authorized to share who he was. So really, the, when we talk about the apostles and prophets in the first place, it's why we need biblical teaching. We need to keep going back to the apostles and prophets. We're not trying to raise up all new ones. We're trying to learn from those that God gave authority. But then we do need people, uh, and sometimes the Bible calls these like small p prophets, people who can take the word of God in its written form and proclaim it to the people. We would call them preachers today. And we need teachers, people like some of your home group leaders who understand the Bible enough where they can open it up and they can help explain it so that we understand it better ourselves. And we have other people called evangelists, we sometimes call them missionaries, who have a special gift of being able to go out locally or globally and proclaiming the gospel and relating it to people so they come and believe. So that's who these people are. They're really sort of our biblical leaders. And it's really important that we have a culture that is a Bible-based culture. But that's not where everyone else gets off because this is really just if you're a pastor or you're a home group leader. Because when I came to this church, um, there was a bunch of people there who quizzed me. They wanted to know, where did you go to Bible school? And they asked me a bunch of questions on some tricky different issues. And they were testing me. And how did they know to do that? Well, because as a congregation and as a whole church, these were people who said, we want to follow the Bible, and they understood enough of what the scriptures were on about that they could ask me the questions they needed to ask, and they knew enough about the answers to know whether I had said the right thing or not, right? In other words, if, if everyone else is not a student of the Bible, then how do you know what it looks like to get a godly Bible teacher and someone who is leading in the right way. So this is something that we all need to do together. We need to have a culture of biblical leadership and we need students who understand the Bible. That takes us on to the next bit. Because 
you don't get off because if you notice um, from him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament as it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You can underline that last little bit, as each part does its work. The concept of a body of Christ. And if we just go on to the next slide, because this one is one that might be a little bit more familiar to you. It, it's another letter of Paul um, from 1 Corinthians 12. And it's one of the most famous images of the church. And it just describes Christ as a head and all of us as members of the body. And that's really good because I think we all get that. You know, we all know that your body is at its best functioning when every part is doing its thing. And if we break our arm or some part of the body breaks down, then other parts have to compensate and we're just not at full speed. But when we're at our best is that every part is engaged and healthy and doing what it needs to do. You don't have one arm tied behind your back or whatever. But the analogy isn't about our physical bodies, it's about this spiritual body. And this body will grow and it will be at its best when each and every person is doing their part. And that's why we've said as our, you know, our final priority, it's just basically to get everyone involved. Um, so if you're here and you're thinking, you know, if you're, if you're new and you're a visitor and you're just here to check it out, that's all fine. But if you say, this is my church, then there should be a sense where we can say, well, What's your role? What do you do in your church? What, what part of the body are you? How are you acting? How are you helping to build up? Or if you come and ask me that question or one of your leaders, we should know how to plug you in and help get you involved because that's how we will function at our very best. Next slide. I'm just going to mention one um, idea of a, of a gift or an area of development because we have said as a uh, leadership team that we want to be building up all of our ministries and particularly we're working on all of our Sunday service teams and so you know you probably noticed that Dawson put some thought into how he introduced the series today and it was great that he shared some of his own personal life and growth and you know Margaret being able to tie certain songs in and even those who are making announcements today to tie it back into our theme and there are service directors who are making sure all of these elements are are tied together. But I want to just talk to you about um, our welcome ministry. When I first arrived here, uh, Fiona was, was running this, and I sat down with her one day and said, tell me a little bit about your vision. And what's really wonderful, I don't think the vision for this ministry has ever changed. She said, I want there to be a culture of hospitality and welcoming and integrating. It doesn't stop at the door because the people who hand you your bulletin and say hello at the door, they have a very important role and they do a number of other things, but obviously they can't make sure that every last person feels welcomed. They can't make sure that every person feels integrated. That's our job, you know, just like as a family, if a guest came into your home, you know, everyone has some role in making sure that they feel welcomed and, and, and they have what they need. And they so Paul talks about in Romans 12, and this, this comes up a lot in the New Testament, the, the practice of hospitality. Practice hospitality. We want to develop a culture in this church that when people come in through the front door and they arrive here and we have a welcome lunch later on, they went, I felt welcome straight away. 
I could get my questions answered. There wasn't too much pressure, but I knew how to get more involved. I was clear how to join a home group or how to get involved in a ministry. People could tell me what was going on and all of that. And that just takes all of us being involved together. Next slide. So what this really is about is just us all getting involved in the Great Commission. Because we said from the very beginning, we don't have to make up a new mission. Jesus gave us one. And you know what it was? Go make disciples. Sometimes when we hear the Great Commission, we hear it as Jesus said, go to all nations if you're a missionary and make sure that they become Christians. It's actually not what the, the, it says. It says, go make disciples of all nations, of all people. We're all called to be disciple makers. If you remember our getaway a number of years ago, it takes disciples to make disciples. If you don't already have some trained disciples, you're not going to be able to train up the students. If you don't have teachers in a school who know what they're doing, you're not going to be able to train up the pupils. Um, you've got to have an overall plan, an overall system, and that's what we're working on. We just want to be disciple makers. If someone says to you, what's CP10 all about? The short answer should be, we're disciple makers, and here's how, here's how we do it. But it just means that everyone is involved at some stage, whether you're in the early stages of growth and development, you're thinking, what's next for me? Or whether you're thinking, I'm a leader, who am I going to raise up next to take my place? Who is the future generation of leaders? We've got to be doing this at each and every stage. Can we just go on to our next slide? I want to give you a final picture of what this looks like and why this is important. And the reason I'm going to tell you this story is because last week I used that analogy of us all wearing t-shirts that said, you know, child of God or people of God. Today we've talked about growing in Christ, so I want to talk about what would it look like if we all wore t-shirts that said, you know, follower of Jesus, you know, one of Jesus' team. And you heard that over the last couple of weeks um, of this family um, who, the Abdallah family, who lost three of their own children and other relatives and friends were killed or injured in this terrible accident when a drunk driver mounted the curb and ran into these children. And, you know, your worst nightmare as a parent that in a single moment you lose three of your children. But one of the things that started to happen soon after this story, because I remember seeing it on the news, and I was angry. I just kept on thinking, how dare this person? Do they realize what they've done? And the next thing that you heard was um, the mother of this family reaching out and offering forgiveness to the person who had killed her children. And then we began to find out a little bit more and a little bit more, and the church came into play. And sometimes people can get very religious, you know, about the time that they lose children and there are all these ceremonies take place. But you started realizing, even though they came from a Catholic background, even the Protestants and the evangelicals were taking note and they were writing about them and they were posting things. If we can just go to our next slide, because they were part of Team Jesus. The dad was involved in the youth group, the kids were involved, and that's how they branded themselves. They were Team Jesus. They actually had the T-shirts. But then when we watched this family walk through this incredible tragedy, 
it actually became apparent. And the place to me where it became the most apparent was when I read this little interview, um, and it was with the mom, Layla Abdallah, and she said, you all know about how Jesus died on the cross, and you all know, this, she's saying this to the papers, you all know that on Good Friday, it's the stations of the cross. In other words, we remember Jesus dying on the cross. Right now, what I feel, I feel I'm walking the stations of the cross. And I thought, what a phenomenal thing. She has taken this tragedy and she has framed it inside of Christ's death for our sins. And so then the minister of that church put out a call to the whole church and they said, we're all going to come together and we're going to walk the stations of the cross together and we're going to pray for this family and we're going to pray that the gospel would be known and God would be glorified through it. You don't pull that sort of thing out of your pocket at the last minute. These were members of Team Jesus. What it said on their t-shirt, they lived in their lives and it was very clear and I thought, these are disciples of Christ, growing in Christ, reaching out to the world until he comes. We're going to hear a little bit more about this in future weeks, um, and we're going to get a chance to hear a bit more of a reflection um, on growing, but we're going to sing our song of response now. <laughs> 